Mortification of Sin, chapter 13, is the chapter of our study this week. And this is the penultimate chapter of Owen's, John Owen's classic work, The Mortification of Sin. And so this chapter concludes with his nine directions for making ourselves ready to mortify our sin. And next week, we'll conclude the book with two final directions for killing our sin before it kills us. And so this ninth direction, the subject of this chapter, is that we must speak no peace to our hearts before God speaks it. So in other words, we must not comfort ourselves too quickly. The gospel certainly does contain, does bring peace to us. It brings us a peace that surpasses all understanding to even the chief of sinners. However, that peace must come from God, not by our own attempt to balm and quiet our conscience. Owen notes that this is a business of great importance because unwarranted self-spoken peace is nothing more than self-deception. The structure of this chapter um, is that Owen begins by making two brief observations, and then he dives into giving us five rules regarding this direction. So the first observation that he gives is, uh, is that just as it is the great prerogative and sovereignty of God to give grace to whom he pleases, so he yet reserves this privilege to himself to speak peace to whom he pleaseth, and in what degree he pleaseth, even amongst those, them on whom he hath bestowed grace. And the second observation immediately follows that one, and it is that just as God creates peace for whom he pleases, so it is the prerogative of Christ to speak it home to the conscience, right? And he uses uh, Christ's evaluation of the Laodicean church in Revelation chapter three as an example of such a false peace, right? Um, and so if you don't remember that passage, let me read to you Revelation 3, 17 through 18. So here's what Jesus had to say to the church of Laodicea. He says, for you say, I am rich. I'm, I've prospered. I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and to and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see you see that's exactly what happened to the the Laodicean church they said i am rich i prospered i need nothing they have given themselves a false sense of peace but it is the prerogative of Christ to give peace to whom he wills. And so he says, I counsel you to buy from me gold, buy from me clothing, buy from me salve to anoint your eyes so that you may truly be rich, so that you may cover your nakedness, so that you may truly be able to see, right? And so with these two observations in mind, Owen goes on to give five rules for this, this direction. The first rule is that men certainly speak peace to themselves when they do not afflict upon their sin the greatest detestation imaginable. You see, as we look for Christ, as we look to Christ for salvation, we should also be struck with the horror of realizing that it was our very sin that pierced 
and killed our Lord. I'll insight passages like Ezekiel 16, 60 through 61, 2 Corinthians 7, 11, and Job 42, 6, as noting that when God comes home to speak peace in a sure covenant of it, it fills the soul with shame for all the ways whereby it hath been alienated from him. You see, if we only hate the consequences of our sin, but still love the sin itself, Owen notes that we may indeed be, perhaps be saved, yet our salvation will come as through fire, and God will have some work with thee before he hath done, and thou wilt have little peace in this life. Thou wilt be sick and fainting all thy days. And so we should be aware of such self-deception, right? When when God comes to spring to bring peace, he brings with us the painful realization of what we have done. And so if we are looking for that that for self-balm, right? We're always going to tend to avoid that kind of humiliation. And so let us avoid our own self-deception, but instead let us root and let us root out any secret love of sin within our hearts, however small or concealed it may be. And let us also hate our sin with a righteous and absolute hatred. Now, the second rule is uh, that we may apply the promises of God to our guilt-ridden hearts in a purely rational way. So to apply the promises of God in in a purely rational way, Owen notes, is to treat the promises of God as if they were bandages to be measured out to apply to the wounds of our sin. And yet Owen warns that this is another appearance upon the mount. The Lord is near, but the Lord is not in it. And he gives us to us to us a hypothetical example, which I think is really helpful, of a man who is troubled by a persistent sin, and he turns to the promise of Hosea 14, verse 4, which says, I will heal their backsliding. I will love them freely. Wonderful promise in Scripture, right? But he notes that the man then confort, uh, comforts himself with this promise without ever waiting for God himself to actually apply it to his heart and to properly deal with his sin. Although devotionals may certainly be beneficial, I mean, I write some myself, is this not a scenario that can easily arise from reading one verse divorced from its context? Which is typically what a lot of devotionals are, right? We can pull one promise out of context, right? Read it to ourselves and bask in, 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 in what that verse is, says, and what that verse says, and, and say that it is true of us, and, and, and indeed this seems to very fittingly apply to the word of faith movement as a whole, right? Where we take portions of scripture and we speak them over ourselves, unconcerned with whether the spirit working in us has actually has actually applied the truth of that word to our hearts, has actually said that that is true of us, has actually opened our eyes to behold the, be- the wonderful things in there, has actually planted the seed of the word so that it will, um, so it will not be strangled up, not be scorched out by the sun or strangled up by thorns, but will actually bear much fruit. So, oh, and then from this point asks a very important question that may have appeared in our minds. If we are to 
wait for God, if we're, to, if we're to listen for God to actually speak it, not just speak it to ourselves. How shall we know when we go alone ourselves, and when the Spirit also doth accompany us? In other words, how can we know the difference between our own peace and the peace that the Spirit gives? <clears throat> His answer is fourfold. So first, he says, he assures us that we will know soon if we have spoken peace to ourselves. Four, self-spoken peace will not last long. And God will, will not let you always err. Second, self-spoken peace is commonly taken without waiting. We don't wait for the Lord, and oftentimes the Lord makes us wait upon him. Third, he says, such superficial peace may quiet the conscience and the mind, yet doth not sweeten the heart with rest and gracious contentment. And finally, only the peace of God truly cures sin. Self-spoken peace often leaves us ripe for returning back to the same sin or just looking for a new replacement sin, right? But it's the peace of God that doesn't just, doesn't just calm the guilt of our previous sin, but actually, but actually helps us grow in the killing of our sin to come, right? Now, the third rule that he, give to, that he gives to us is that we speak peace to ourselves when we do it slightly. And this builds, uh, is, is tied very much to, to that, um, to the previous point that he had just made about how we know the difference between, um, between what we say in, in the spirit, right? And, and, uh, and that our peace doesn't bring us true cure for sin, right? Um, it's a superficial, it's a superficial healing of, of our sin. It's a superficial peace. And, um, but John, but John Owen takes this third rule from Jeremiah eight eleven, in which the prophet, uh, in which God is lamenting, um, speaking through his prophet Jeremiah, of other prophets who, he says, have healed the wounds of my people lightly, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. You see, a superficial treatment of our sin will inevitably result in its breaking out again. And, as Owen says, thou shalt, thou shalt know that thou art not cured. All right? The fourth rule is that we speak peace to ourselves whenever we deal with one sin but are unconcerned with another equally hideous sin. <clears throat> so the peace that we receive from mortifying one sin is a false peace whenever we still keep another sin hidden within our hearts. We hold on to one sin, and, and even, if we, even if we do fight one sin, kill one sin, cut off one sin, as long as we're holding on to another sin in our hearts, keeping it around as our pet sin and the peace that we give ourselves, the, the pat on our back that we give ourselves for fighting one sin, um, is, a, is a false peace, right? The fifth rule, fifth and final, is that our self-spoken peace is rarely accompanied by the humiliation that God brings. Owen says, God's peace is a humbling peace, a melting peace, as it was in the case of David, which we can see from Psalm 51 when Nathan came to David and said, you are the man, right? Um, and not in a good way, right? That you are the man who had sinned, who had committed adultery, who had, who had orchestrated the murder of a righteous man. And David, when he, was, when he knew that his sin was found out, he was melted by, uh, by, the, by, the, by, by having his sin exposed. He was humbled by having his sin exposed before the Lord. 
And that's what the peace that God brings to us, that's what it does. It brings to us a, a humbling humiliation. But, says on, you will say, when may we take comfort of a promise as our own in relation to some peculiar wound for the quieting of the heart? When can we actually take comfort of the promises of Scripture? And his answer is, when God speaks. <laughs> now, he may do so, Owen says, immediately, or he may make us wait for his peace. And if we must wait, we should do so in faith, believing that God is glad to give peace to his children, that he gives peace in his own time. We should happily wait on him, believing that he is happy to give peace to those who wait for him. But, Owen adds one more time, you will say, here's another objection, we are where we were. When God speaks it, we must receive it, that is true. But how shall we know when he speaks? How do we know when God is the one that's speaking to us? And he says we do so by a secret instinct in faith, whereby it knows the voice of Christ when he speaks. Just like this, the bride in the Song of Songs, our ear should be attuned to recognizing the voice of our beloved. We should grow in discernment to where we know when Christ is speaking to us so that we may tell it apart from when we are just simply speaking to ourselves. But we may also know that God has spoken to us by the fruit that it brings in our lives. Owen says this, If the word of the Lord doth good to your soul, he speaks it. If it humbles, if it cleanse and be useful for those ends for which promises are given, such as to in, such as to endear, to cleanse, to melt and bind to obedience, to cause self-emptiness, etc. So we'll know that God has spoken because when God speaks to us, his word will bear fruit. His word will cause us to, to be more obedient to him, to long for that obedience, to cleanse our hearts, to come before him, to pursue him and his holiness. And so that's how we'll know that God has spoken to us. And so let us not give to ourselves false, superficial peace, but instead let us look to God in his word and wait for God to give us the peace that surpasses all understanding. Let us wait for God to be the one who puts the balm to our guilt that we have for our sin. Next week, We'll study chapter 14 as we conclude the book, Mortification of Sin. So until then, grace and peace.